Hi, my name is Jimmy Gertz. Welcome to another episode of Looking at the Movie Times, the podcast where we look at a new movie being released in theaters and place it in the times of film. We're coming back after about a month-long hiatus, and this week, with the release of Suicide Squad, we're going to be talking about superhero movie messes. And joining me once again to talk about that, uh, my brother and artist, as well as superhero movie and bad movie aficionado, Brandon Gertz. Thanks for talking to me, Brandon. Hi. So, I guess we, we were kicking around a couple different ideas before uh, we beforehand on what we might want to do for this episode. And I think once we both saw Suicide Squad, we decided that superhero movie messes was the right option for it. It's and- the worst superhero movie. <laughs> I'm going to go out and say it. It's the worst one. All right. Well, we'll get into that. I, I, I don't know if I quite agree there, but... Um, we should clarify too what we say when we say uh, what we mean when we say superhero movie messes, because it do, not every one not every movie that's a mess uh, that we're going to be talking about is I wouldn't say any of them are good, but some of them are not necessarily bad, certainly not terrible. Likewise, I think there are superhero movies that are bad that aren't necessarily messes. I think something like Ghost Rider or um, the 2005 Fantastic Four are just kind of bad generic movies. I wouldn't necessarily call them messes. What we're referring to are movies that are huge tentpole properties with really well-known characters for the most part, big talent, and just for whatever reason, it went horribly, it, it went awry. Often that's because of some miscalculations on the part of the creative team. Often it's because of studio interference. Often it's a combination of the two, but just for whatever reason, they come out as a kind of a mess when they come out ultimately. And there's a couple of places you could start with this. I think, you know, I think through the 80s and 90s, most superhero movies in general were, were kind of messes. Um, I, I, I think with a few exceptions, like the first uh, Superman movie, Tim Burton's Batman movies, most attempts at making superhero movies for a while just were not successful. But I think enough of them were small scale that they've kind of gone by the wayside. But there are a couple that, you know, were big enough that they kind of stand out through the test of time. So Like Howard the Duck? That's where I wanted to start today, yeah. Because this is a movie. Now, Howard the Duck isn't a hugely well-known character, at least not in the same way someone like Batman or Superman is. But the movie itself was a large movie. The um, first Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And it was produced and kind of creatively spearheaded by George Lucas. And I guess, I guess kind of the first warning of the things that were going to be coming from him uh, from, <laughs> from that point on. This is something he had wanted to do uh, since very early in his career and really only got around to in 1986 with a different director. You know, he didn't direct it. He just kind of produced it, released it through, uh, you know, Lucasfilm. And I think it's a, it's a good example of what we're talking about when we say superhero movie mess um, for all sorts of reasons. To me, the main problem with Howard the Duck as a movie, which is a very fun idea. In fact, I think it's a, a, might be a smart idea to reboot it at some point. You know, he made a cameo at the end of Guardians of the it's, Galaxy. It's not going to get rebooted. <laughs> They're not touching that again. I don't know. I think you're being a little bit cynical or maybe not cynical enough about how how much they want to tap any superhero property possible right now. But I think the main problem with this movie, which I think could have been a very fun, very funny movie if it was done the right way. The main problem to me is that 
it's, it's almost like two different movies at once, right? Because the first half of this movie is like trying to be this irreverent kind of raunchy comedy. You know, it open it opens with him looking at like a naked duck in a pinup magazine. He works at like this weird hedonistic bathtub cruising spot. I'm not I'm not sure if it's ever. It's exactly. the most uncomfortably sexual movie I've seen in ages. Right. So it's it's some kind of like hot tub cruising spot. I'm not sure if it's ever explained. Um, you know, there's the, and there's the fact that, you know, Leah Thompson really wants to have sex with this duck and vice versa. Um, I, I think maybe he she, also tries to eat a lady's butt. <laughs> I, I think maybe Leah Thompson was just at this time, you know, being type typecast as the woman who tries to initiate inappropriate sexual relationships between this and back to the future. So on the one hand, you have this one movie. And then on the other hand, by the time you get to the second half of this movie, it's kind of devolved into this lame, generic, all ages adventure comedy kind of thing. It, it, it feels almost like something that you might have hallucinated if you were watching too many videotapes at once in the 80s. And the problem is that these feel like two completely different movies and neither one of them, in my opinion, is very good. So, I, I, I mean, I think that's the main problem. It's just kind of tonally a complete disaster. Also of note, for some reason this movie, this entire restaurant t- tries to murder Howard the Duck and it's harrowing. Yeah, it, it is very disturbing. Like I said, it feels like something that might have been hallucinated if you're just watching too many of these kind of like B-movie adventure comedies uh, from this era. You know, you have Jeffrey Jones popping up here uh, playing kind of the the bad guy like he always uh, does. And it it just gets kind of very lame as it comes into his home stretch. There are some nice stop-motion animation effects at the end of the film with the villain, but like if you have a nearly two hour film and that that's like the best thing I can say about the movie, that's not very strong. It doesn't even, it has one of my favorite things about bad movies, which are bad punks. Um, and these are especially bad punks in this movie. Uh, like, you know, Beverly supposedly plays in this punk band, but it sounds more like, like a bad pretenders knockoff or something like that. Uh, but the punks are really into it. But the punks also just kind of look like uh, people. Like it the, looks like they threw a bunch of stuff from the props department onto leather jackets. And you're like, yeah, this is what punks are like. <laughs> yeah, so it's not even like the fun kind of punks that have switchblades and things like that. It's more like uh, just kind of punks who look like they got lost on their way to like a you know, Bananarama concert or something like that. Although um, Richard Edson from Sonic Youth makes an appearance here, which I'm sure he's very proud of. It also has some of the best punk slang, including a scene where one of the punks sees Harry the Duck and is like, I've been smoking too much toot. No, it's quite bad. It's also, I think, one of the first appearances of Tim Robbins. And, you know, between this, his Oscar and Dead Man Walking, you know, which is he most proud of? Who's to say? Probably this. I feel like it's a movie that... If people do have affection for, it seems like a movie that you might like a little bit more if you saw it at the right age when you were a kid or something like that. But otherwise, I'm not. I'm, there's not really a whole lot of redeeming value to it. I feel like you know. And speaking of movies that you would see as a kid, one of the things you and I grew up in the '90s, so this this stuff like Howard the Duck was before our time. But one thing that I remember very clearly from the punchline is Batman Robin. Yeah, is Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. 
Uh, and, you know, especially because at that time, you know, as a kid, I, I loved Batman. And on the one hand, in the 90s, you had a lot of really good Batman stuff, like the animated series and Batman Returns. But on the other hand, you also had Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which, you know, I think neither of them are good movies, although I think how terrible they are has been a little bit uh, dramatized over time. In fact, I might say I actually am a little bit... I prefer Batman and Robin a little bit to Batman and Forever, personally. Batman and Robin is really fucking weird. It's like a... Like, imagine Fury Road if it was made in the 90s and it was made by someone who's completely incompetent. There's, like, a weird mythology to the Gotham of Batman and Robin that I would love to see, like, some behind-the-scenes stuff of, but... It's all wrapped around this garbage, garbage movie. Well, I think what Joel Schumacher, the director of these two films, was going for was, I mean, so the Batman movies up to that point had been the 1967 Batman movie, which was, you know, intentionally funny and goofy and campy. And then you had Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns, which was trying to make it a little bit darker and more modern. And I think this was his attempt to kind of uh, awkwardly fuse the two together. Um, so on the one hand, it very much has a campy feel of those that Batman uh, movie and TV show from the 60s. But on the other hand, it's like modern to the point that like, you know, Seal and U2 and Smashing Pumpkins are on these movie soundtracks. And yeah, for the most part, it does not work uh, at all. Like I said, I think Batman and Robin of the two might actually be the more successful one because it just goes on for full on campiness, you know, with Mr. Freeze, you know, making uh, freezing and ice related punchlines you know, a bat credit card, the weird bat suits. Whereas Batman Forever, you know, I think that one was trying a little bit more to the darker and it just doesn't, you know, work at all for me. I think, you know, Jim Carrey as the Riddler is aged terribly, um, much more so than Arnold Schwarzenegger, which was at least, you know. Did you forget that Tommy Lee Jones is in that movie? I did not forget that Tommy Lee Jones was in that movie. In fact, my favorite thing about these movies was just reading about the behind-the-scenes stories on them and how, like, you know, Tommy Lee Jones hated Jim Carrey. And, um, Val Kilmer, Kilmer, I think it was. Maybe everyone hated Jim Carrey then, because I was definitely thinking... Everyone Tom hates Lee. Val Kilmer, so it's probably <laughs> Val Kilmer. No, no, Tommy Lee Jones definitely hates Jim Carrey, too. It's, I guess it was a very contentious set or something. So these movies are not good by any means, but they do kind of have a distinctive style, and I, I feel like... They, they, they maybe just get trashed on a little too easily. Um, whereas some movies, including some of the ones we're going to talk about later, I think are genuinely worse than Batman Robin and Batman Forever, where at least I can kind of see the intentions of what they were going for, you know? And like I said, the thing is with these movies, even if they're a mess, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're terrible movies. You know, one example I might point to I think is definitely a mess, but I also think is a not a terrible movie is uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. I, admittedly, I think that Sam Raimi's first two Spider-Man films are two of the best, if not the best, superhero films ever made. But this, so this third one, you know, just because of the huge success that these other two had had, studios were trying to put in more inputs. There was huge expectations for these films. And that's where you got, I think initially the idea was just kind of to have Sandman as a singular villain, you know, along with the ongoing contention with, uh, you know, James Franco as Osborne, um, which I think would have been a better, simpler, more elegant movie. But instead, because of the studios, we also got Venom. We also got Gwen Stacy. 
Um, and it became kind of a huge mess of a movie. But even then, you know, A, there's enough good stuff, especially with the stuff involving Sandman, um, that I think it's still worthwhile. And even the the bad stuff I, I kind of enjoy in this movie. Like, I enjoy that it basically becomes almost like an episode of Degrassi or a soap opera or something like that where, you know, there's multiple love triangles and uh, there's an amnesiac all of a sudden. I even like the uh, evil Spider-Man stuff in this movie, to be honest with you. And I like the idea that Spider-Man is so hopelessly square that even his idea of being evil is totally square. It's like, you know, his his idea of evil is eating milk and cookies while being vaguely rude to somebody on the phone or like dancing at a jazz bar. They're like incredibly lame versions of being evil. So even that stuff that gets like made fun of all the time, I kind of enjoyed. Go watch Spider-Man 3 now. Like it's... It's not good, but it's aged a lot better than you think. Yeah, honestly. Now that hype isn't around. Yeah, ironically, I think the thing that's aged the worst about those movies is the visual effects, um, which for some reason look worse to me than the first two movies do these days. But now when people aren't expecting it to be a brilliant movie, I think all the weird comedy of uh, evil, evil emo Peter Parker uh, works a lot better, and a lot of the movie does too. But like I said, it's undeniably a mess. Um, there's way too many characters in it. It's just a total bloated mess, um, you know, with Gwen Stacy and Venom and all these characters. But it's still a pretty decent movie. You know, another, I mean, another example for me would be the 2011 Green Hornet, I think is another movie that's kind of a mess and does not have a good critical reception but is, isn't terrible and at least is a mess in kind of an interesting way. You know, you have a movie that was Seth Rogen, initially was Seth Rogen starring and writing, Michelle Gondry directing, Stephen Chow playing Cato, you know, and Christoph Waltz is a bad guy, you know, but it just, you know, and so that's why I was excited to see it because, you know, I like all those people. I was interested to see in what they would be doing. But I guess maybe, first of all, Stephen Chow bowed out. And I guess I didn't think that all these people coming together would kind of make it uh, a mess of different ideas and visions and stuff like that. And so the movie itself is, you know, it's not a good movie. I'd say it's like a C movie or something like that. But it's 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 interesting, and it's, it's a lot better than some of the other films we're going to talk about today, in as much that I feel like... This movie's place is to be playing on FX at like 4.30 in the afternoon. And it's the kind of movie that if I was homesick and it popped up on FX at 4.30 in the afternoon, I might wait a couple of minutes before changing the channel, (laughs) which is, you know, maybe better than what you could say for a lot of these films, you know, Green Lantern later that year, for instance. One reason one that we we should discuss when we're talking about superhero movie messes is, is Fantastic Four, which has just had... Which we just saw today. Yeah, which has had just such a traumatic cinematic history as it is. It's cursed. I think it is because it's to the point where the cheap knockoff one they made. um, That was never intended to be released. Right, was basically just made so they could retain the rights. Might genuinely be the best one out of all of them so far, which is (laughs) a a little sad. No, this one's probably the best, but it's not good. It's very not good. 
Yeah, well, it's definitely bad in an interesting way, whereas I feel like the initial one with uh, Jessica Alba and Chris Evans, um, which is kind of bad in a generic way. Most of its problems weren't really interesting. It just wasn't, it just didn't come together as a movie. This one, its idea was to do like a grim, dark version of Fantastic Four, which is already a pretty bad idea, in my opinion. Um, but that's what it was going for anyways. And there's even some scenes in it where it feels like they're going for a little bit of Cronenbergian body horror, which is interesting, but just does not work in any way. And this is another movie where you had, you know, tons of internal problems with the production. You had the studios interfering, uh, you know, with the movie, trying to make it better, which if there's any lesson that you take away from today, it's that studio interference pretty much never works. Like, even if your movie's bad, just release it as a bad movie. You know, don't spend millions of dollars in reshoots trying to make it better because you're probably not going to make it better. You know, and you may just have a really weird looking wig that ends up being the mark of your reshoots like this movie does. It's garbage. The biggest thing about the Fantastic Four movies, I don't think Josh Trank knows how other humans interact with each other. Like, Every conversation in this movie is just very odd. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a weird running motif where it's shown that one of Sue Storm's defining characteristics is that she likes music. Yeah, this becomes like a weird conversation where she's listening to Portishead and then Reed Richards steps in with the uh, killer pickup line, do you like music? It starts with, it's like, what are you listening to? Portishead. It's always really weird when movies that aren't specifically about music try to name drop bands. Mm -hmm. I always get a bit of an uncomfortable vibe from that. But go on. Right, so then she goes into this long spiel. I mean, normally if you ask somebody, do you like music? You'd be like, yes, of course, I'm a human being. And then th that would be the end of the conversation. I also like breathing air. <laughs> right. But then it goes on for like a five-minute discussion about how it has something to do with patterns. And that's how she views. Basically, she explains the music in the most robotic t uh, terms possible. I There's mean, also a part in it where Sue Storm goes to like a technician and it's like hand me headphones <laughs> music helps me think yeah i mean a problem here once again is that it's just trying to be a grim and gritty version of this and it's like not every not every superhero series is batman not every superhero series is going to work with having a grim and gritty update to it uh, that's that's one of the things that i think is they're gonna have to be careful with with justice league is justice league the way i remember it best is like you know from cartoons uh you know like saturday morning cartoons so i think if you're like having you know murderers and like all these kind of dark and gritty stuff to it it's, it's not gonna quite work work right you know the beginning of this movie it's clobbering time uh is revealed is actually a catchphrase of uh ben Grimm's abusive brother which like i guess is meant as an in-joke but it's kind of like a Batman versus Superman where they have Jimmy Olsen cameo only to get shot in the head. It's like a kind of a deranged version of an in-joke, you know what I mean? I think the Josh Trank version is just really awkward, whereas the Zack Snyder version of an in-joke is so it's kind of sociopathic. <laughs> uh, and it's yeah. like, hey, here's a fun in-joke. Let's shoot this man in the head. <laughs> right. And I mean, that's the main problem as we kind of head over towards Suicide Squad now 
that's the main problem i feel like with the dc series uh suicide squad is absolutely the worst superhero movie i've ever seen or at least in my opinion okay well we're getting there um (laughs) DC's problem, I think, right now, and listen, I'm I'm no uh, Marvel fanboy. I think Marvel has its own problem, which is that uh, there's so much emphasis put on maintaining the Marvel Central Universe over directors that I feel like it can kind of hinder the films and make them feel a little formulaic. But I feel like that's nothing compared to what DC's problems are right now as a as <laughs> as a company because DC's problems are just that. The movies they make often have huge tonal problems. They have way too much studio interference, and that's already coming from, you know, directors like Zack Snyder and David Ayer, who are kind of go way too unnecessarily dark with these movies, um, or just aren't great directors in general. Batman versus Superman, uh, we talked about in a previous episode a little bit. I am intrigued, by the way. You were like almost oddly defensive of the movie, and then it turns out you gave it like a much lower rating than I did. It's so. a bad movie, but <laughs> it's it's weird. I I had a lot of fun watching it, but only because I like watching like train wrecks that take themselves completely seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Batman versus Superman is. Well, and I mean, that's the thing for better or for worse uh, with Batman versus Superman. You know what I'm saying about the Marvel Central Universe, where is that they kind of want to put a house style and not let their directors get too idiosyncratic. That wasn't much of the case with Batman versus Superman. They let Zack Snyder make a Zack Snyder movie. The problem that Zack Snyder movies just uh, often... (laughs) aren't aren't very good uh or at least certainly these ones weren't and i mean that there's just even the marvel movies which are supposed to be lighter often heavily feature you know millions of people dying and cities collapsing and things like that and all the dc films have that too and then they have all these other unnecessary you know i think the problem really does come all the way back to christopher nolan and that uh, what he did with the Dark Knight series was so popular that it seems like almost every series is now trying to emulate it. But My big thing with the DC Universe is it feels like it was outsourced entirely to Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Hear me out. Right. Okay, like, the thing is, like, yeah, there's all the dark stuff and the uncomfortable social-political com- content. Which we'll get into later with Bad Guy Patrol. A.K.A. Suicide Squad, yeah. But the thing is, like, the DC movies feel like they're just trying to put together moments that comic fans might remember from famous arcs, like Crisis on Infinite Earths, or they'll take, like, the suit from The Dark Knight Returns, Mm -hmm. or, like, the Dark Batman and have them face off in like the death of superman but also there's like some new gods stuff with like the parademons and dark side i, I understood like maybe 30 percent of what you were just saying there but sure and it just feels like they're trying to put together like moments from the comics completely out of context in the animated series too and just throw them into something that's guaranteed to get comic fans to watch them and to make fan theories 
Well, that's not my problem with it. I'm totally happy with these series. Uh, I think it's a fundamental problem because the thing is these DC movies become a series of moments rather than these scenes that actually have cohesion Mm -hmm. or ties to each other. Well, my problem with a lot of these superhero movies sometimes is that they're, and maybe it's kind of related to what you're saying, is that they're too faithful to the comic books. I'm, I was totally happy with the stuff like this original Spider-Man movies and things like that, that diverged from the comic books storylines. And I think what you're saying about, uh, you know, the fans is it's almost become like this sports team rivalry thing between Marvel and DC, which I really, I don't care about at all. I I don't really care that much about faithfulness to the comic books. And I don't really care about Marvel versus DC. I just want a good movie to come out of them. And, uh, it, it seems like DC is struggling with that. And going into Suicide Squad, I think that this this movie has a lot of problems. I think it's I think its biggest problem is that it straddles this weird line where okay, on the one hand, so it's it's trying to be kind of like a dark but also fun superhero movie, and on the one hand, I feel like there's a lot of ways where it's not dark enough, you know. So on the one hand, it's PG thirteen, so all the people who are getting murdered for the most part are like these weird faceless uh, creatures. Uh, actually, I, you know, they're people that the Enchantress possesses, uh, normal citizens. So I guess it is a little bit disturbing that they're just murdering, you know, normal people. But so it's, you know, bloodless, non-human creatures. And then also all the villains in this team, by the end of the movie, we learn that they're all, you know, they're not all such bad guys, you know, dead shot maybe an assassin but he loves his daughter and just wants to spend time with her but you know his ex-wife won't give him custody because she has some problem with a guy who kills people for a living uh being around her daughter for some this reason is, this talk is about where the reddit comes in <laughs> talk about a real super villain am i right so you have that on the one hand and then there's parts of the movie that are way too dark to be like a fun romp like you have the fact that multiple women are punched in the face for a laughs or you have the fact that joker and harley quinn's relationship which is you know an abusive relationship basically gets reduced to one scene where he throws her in a vat of chemicals and then they have like this swooning romantic kiss so you have oh, harley quinn is bad in this movie like margot ruby roby's fine like she does a good job with what she has, but it's not much. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's the abusive relationship thing, which they got way too greedy with the origin story. Like they're trying to take the one from the animated series, mm-hmm. which, by the way, that one actually does like get into the fact that their relationship is abusive mm-hmm. and. Harley actually has agency in the cartoons, whereas here she's either just a vessel for the Joker to show up or a object to or a sexual object Mm -hmm. for the camera to ogle. Right. So this movie gets into this weird position where in some ways it's not nasty enough and in some ways it's way too nasty and it becomes almost like sanitized scuzziness which in a way is almost creepier than if they just went straight on scuzzy you know uh i was not a huge fan of deadpool by any means but i will give it credit i think that it hit the right mixture of that suicide was going for a lot better 
where in Deadpool, you know, it was R-rated, but it was also, you know, fairly harmless and lighthearted. You know, if anything, Deadpool's humor was maybe a little too dorky. But I would, I would much prefer the dorkiness to what we get in uh, in this movie. The jokes in this movie feel like they're like a creepy, like 40, 50 year old guy, like trying to hit on girls, like going like, Hey, I'm in the suicide squad. I'm, this is not a joke, but <laughs> yeah. Get... Whose, whose voice are you doing there? Like all of the jokes feel very scuzzy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just in many ways, it's trying to be lighthearted and it's just not very funny. I mean, so for one thing, there's the soundtrack cues in this movie, which uh, are the worst. Yeah, they're they're terrible, and you know all of them are way too on the nose. But some of them don't even make sense. So like sympathy for the devil, you know that's lame, but it makes sense. They're villains, devil. I get it. But like I think as Killer Croc gets introduced to Creedence Clearwater uh, Revival's Fortunate Son, like what does that have? Is, is like Killer Croc in Vietnam? Like what does that have anything to do with Killer Croc? Except that it's just he's a song? not a fortunate son because he's a crocodile. He's a racist <laughs> stereotype and also a crocodile man. I mean that is a hard life to live. I will grant it that. Yeah, I mean this movie is a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> so, the worst. Uh, I don't know if I would go that far, especially the in worst a- superhero movie. Well, so. There's not many positives to it. I think that Will Smith uh, does an okay job, partially just because Will Smith has so much uh, you know, charisma that he can pull off the laugh lines, even if the laugh lines, as you say, are pretty lousy. Um, Margot Robbie does a decent job of what she has. So does you know Viola Davis. Um, I mean, I guess we do need to talk about Jared Leto's Joker, and you know, I why I, he's barely in it. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I just have never liked Jared Leto as an actor, but I was I was willing to be open minded and give him a shot with this. But he is like astonishingly bad, and as you say, also barely in it. It reminds me of like terrible food and such small portions joke, except instead of food, it's like a weird juggalo version of Joker. Um, he tries to be every Joker at once, but none of them work, and he just comes off doing like a shit Heath Ledger impression. It's it's embarrassingly bad for sure. Embarrassing. Uh, and he's not even the real villain and the real villain is also pretty embarrassing. Um you know, it's revealed it's not really a spoiler because it's revealed quite early in the movie but is Enchantress. Who... Also no one knows who Enchantress is. <laughs> I'm sure some people who want go see this movie do, but I mean she doesn't do she kind of just like dances, looks a little spooky, but She's, you know, not very compelling as a villain either. And it's, it's a movie where a lot of problems, uh, movies have this problem lately in this genre. You know, its climax is almost identical to Fantastic Four, where it's just like a lot of blue light and, sh- and you know, uh, cities collapsing. Um, this one is at least, I think, self-aware enough where they have all the citizens evacuate. But like, Or all the citizens get turned into the rock men. Yeah, but some, I, yeah, I guess so. But there's at least they're trying to show that these aren't city uh, buildings full of people that are being destroyed. But like, I'd say about an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes into the movie, when we're getting into our action climax, like mentally, I was just like, I, I don't want to be watching this anymore. You know, uh, I just am com- completely uninvested in what's going on here. 
so I mean it's it's a, it's a bad failure I think for them and it's you know it's going to make a lot of money the first opening uh, weekend for sure and maybe uh, for the next couple of weeks as it goes on but I think in terms of trying to find the mixture of commercial and critical success that Marvel's had they still have a long way to go especially because this movie is trying to be kind of the fun comedy of something like Guardians of the Galaxy. And like I said, the soundtrack cues are terrible, which are clearly kind of meant to be Guardians of the Galaxy-esque. It's, you know, all, and the characters are, you know, <laughs> like uh, Slipknot, for instance. If you if you like Slipknot, I don't know why you would like Slipknot, but if you enjoy Slipknot as a character, he's in it long enough to, like, punch a woman in the face climb a rope and then that's pretty much it <laughs> he's he's gone after that um or diablo you know is also basically just kind of like you're an incredibly stereotypical latin gangbanger character that everyone you know just calls essay and you know that that's it for him as well it's just it's also just... killer croc's biggest desire is to watch bat yeah they're just it's just not fun <laughs> like i barely laughed at all during the movie uh, fantastic four like the new one is genuinely a lot better it's terrible but at least that is kind of at least that one's bad in like a kind of fun way like mm -hmm. whereas this is just a completely horrible and offensive it's yeah, there's definitely going to need to be some course correction, I feel like, going on. This is course correction. <laughs> some better course correction. Um, Wonder Woman, I feel like, could be decent, but, like, I mean, you know, what do you have after that? You have Justice League, which is probably going to run into the exact same problems these films have had. You know, it's it's going to be tough, I, I, feel, I feel like, for DC. But maybe it'll give us more stuff to talk about in this category for some time in the future. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about what to DC, it looks like for DC going on from this one? Uh, <laughs> they need... It's too late for them now. Like, they can't... I don't know if they can really turn themselves around. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, like, they're committed to Zach's nighter idea of setting up moments instead of actually putting characters into scenes that logically make sense or progress so it's going to be the same they're going to run to the same problems for a while until the ben affleck batman comes yeah, out yeah and i mean that's kind of the problem i see with these an increasing reliance on franchise films and films that build up on one another is that if one of them messes up you're you're kind of unless you just completely change course you're kind of stuck with the problems that you've been developing and that's going to be a problem not just for dc but anybody who tries to make you know some of these D, uh, franchise or shared universe films which increasingly we're just going to see so um here's hoping you know <laughs> they're able to correct course and we don't have too many more of these movies to discuss but thank you once again for joining me brandon no problem